everybody. This is Jeremiah Jacques. Thank you for tuning in to The Sun Also Rises. In the second half, we have a really exciting interview to share with you. But in this first section, I wanted to start off by telling you about a mostly forgotten chapter of ancient history. When the sun came up on May 28th in the year 585 BC, the Medes and the Lydians were still at war. They'd been at each other's throats for a long time. For more than five years, actually, they'd been fighting. And it looked like there was no end in sight for their conflict. The Lydians were led at the time by King Aleati, and the Medes were led by King Cyaxares, and their two kingdoms bordered each other at Hales River in what is modern-day Turkey. The reason this war had started, according to the Greek historian Herodotus, was because the Lydians were harboring some men who had committed crimes against the Medes. These men were Scythian hunters who had been living among the Medes, and one evening after they returned from a hunt empty-handed, the king of the Medes, King Cyaxares, mocked them. So the hunters took revenge for the king's insults by apparently killing a Median child. And then the hunters fled to take refuge in Lydian territory. Well, the Medes naturally asked the Lydians to surrender these Scythian hunters so that justice could be done, but the Lydians refused, and so the Medes and Lydians went to war. And the two kingdoms were apparently so evenly matched that neither could prevail over the other, even after more than five years of war. Herodotus writes, quote, In the course of it, the Medes gained many victories over the Lydians, and the Lydians also gained many victories over the Medes. As, however, the balance had not inclined in favor of either nation, another combat took place in the sixth year. End quote. So there it is. After five years of war, they were kind of at a stalemate. And so they decided in the sixth year, which was 585 B.C., that they would engage in yet another battle. Well, at the same time, there was a Greek philosopher on the scene. He was a man named Thales, Thales of Miletus. And Thales is actually the first known philosopher in the Greek tradition. He lived generations before Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. And Thales is recognized as the first individual to reject the Greek pantheon of gods and the use of mythology to try to explain the universe. Instead, Thales used investigation, and scientific inquiry to look for predictable laws and order in the world. Thales is said to have basically introduced ancient Greece to mathematics and astrology, and he made profound discoveries in pretty much every field that he studied. Well, modern scientists are not quite sure how he did it, but at some time before this historic battle, in the sixth year of war between the Medes and Lydians took place, Thales of Miletus used his knowledge of mathematics and astronomy to figure out that something astounding was going to happen around that time. So he made his prediction known, and then along came May 28th, and the Medes and Lydians were fighting and fighting, and it seemed like any conclusive end to their war was as far off as ever, but they just kept on fighting anyway. And then in the late afternoon, 
suddenly something started to change. The battlefield suddenly began to take on a strange appearance. The soldiers noticed that the quality of the light was eerie. The light seemed to scatter in a way that they'd never seen before. And then the sky started to dim a little bit, but there were no clouds. This was a little after 6.30 p.m. local time, and the soldiers knew that they still had about two hours until dark, so it was puzzling to them. A few of them stopped fighting and backed away from the fray of the battle so they could better observe what was happening. Well, another few minutes or so went by, and the atmosphere continued to feel more and more strange. The light looked increasingly off. And more and more of the soldiers from both the Lydian and the Mede side stopped fighting with each other, set their weapons down, and stared up at the darkening sky. Under the strange light... They noticed that even though it was getting darker, everything on the battlefield looked sharper and clearer, far more unusual than they had ever seen it. And it was impossible for them to describe what they were seeing. It had a powerful effect on their senses. Their shadows on the ground looked very sharp, very contrasted. Some of them thought something was wrong with their eyes. And then they felt the temperature begin to noticeably drop. Some crickets started to chirp. Birds began retreating to their nests to roost. And the wind began picking up speed. How could this be happening? Sunset wasn't supposed to happen for a long time still. But suddenly the sky was becoming deeper and deeper blue. No one was fighting anymore. They were all standing, some with their mouths opened. Some were looking around at the other men. Some were looking down at their own hands. Most were looking up at the bizarre, deep blue sky. Looking up where the full disk of the sun had been just a few minutes earlier, they saw just a small sliver, and it was growing smaller and smaller. Where was it going? What was happening? Some of the troops were in full panic. Looking to the west, they saw a breathtaking curtain of dull blackness rising up on the horizon. There were hints of sunset to the north and the south of this mysterious curtain. And looking to the east, they saw that the sun was still fairly bright. Some of the soldiers stole a glance at their shadows back on the ground. The shadows were impossibly clear and thin, unlike anything they'd ever seen. And the little sliver of sun that was left kept growing smaller and smaller. The sky surrounding the sun became very dark. The deep blue then morphed into twilight blue, and then to bluish black, and then the sun was gone. Suddenly there were the stars and the planets revealing themselves against the otherworldly night sky. And then that curtain of black that they'd seen in the west was suddenly everywhere rising up out of the earth on all sides, filling every angle of the horizon, all 360 degrees burning with orange, like an impossible radiant sunset on the entire horizon. Around the edge of the moon, they saw an intense glowing that looked like the most radiant metal ring, 
stunning beyond words. And then the sun's corona burst into view. Wisps like glowing silk strands, floating and stretching and shimmering all around the totally black hole that had been cut with some cosmic scissors from the fabric of that deep blue-black firmament. The soldiers with keener eyes saw little tongues of red and pink fire dancing around the sun's edge. Every man stared up at this staggering sight, many of them weeping, many of them involuntarily bellowing and shouting and whooping. It was the most spectacular and stunning event they had ever witnessed, a total solar eclipse, and they happened to be right there in the path of totality. After three minutes and 26 seconds, the western sky dramatically brightened, the right side of the sun's black disk brightened back up, the corona dimmed, and then the sliver of sun majestically returned and began to wax larger and larger. The eclipse was ending. A few of the soldiers picked up their weapons, nervously looking at the enemy troops that they'd been fighting just 10 minutes earlier. But after what they had just experienced, that fight seemed like a lifetime ago. Their reasons for fighting seemed irrelevant and petty. The commander of the Medes wiped tears from his face and quickly consulted with some of his advisors. They all remembered that Thales of Miletus had warned them that this would happen and that he had said it would happen this very year. They laid down their weapons and began walking in a daze toward a group of Lydian officials. The Lydians welcomed them. They too had heard the forewarning by Thales of Miletus. And like the Medes, they were deeply moved by the event. We don't know all the details of what exactly they thought the eclipse signified or what Thales' warning about it exactly had entailed. But we do know that because of the eclipse, the Medes and the Lydians immediately stopped fighting and signed a truce. After more than five years of bloody violence, their war was finally over because of the eclipse. Herodotus writes, quote, Another combat took place in the sixth year, in the course of which, just as the battle was growing warm, day was on a sudden changed into night. This event had been foretold by Thales of Miletus, who forewarned the Ionians of it, fixing for it the very year in which it actually took place. The Medes and Lydians, when they observed the change, ceased fighting, and were alike anxious to have terms of peace agreed on. End quote. Herodotus goes on from there to explain that in order to seal peace, the Lydian king married his daughter off to the son of the Mede king. And they all took a series of oaths, and then the conflict that had claimed so many lives over all those years of fighting was over. As I mentioned earlier, modern astronomers are not sure exactly how Thales of Miletus was able to predict that solar eclipse. There were some serious problems and some gaping voids in his uh, understanding of the Earth and the solar system, and some dispute that he really did predict it at all. But if Herodotus is to be believed, 
and also Pliny the Elder, and many other writers and historians, then somehow Thales did successfully predict it. And that makes him the first known person to successfully predict a solar eclipse. And with modern astronomical calculations, we can go back and identify exactly when and where solar eclipses in history happened. And that's how we get the date, May 28th, 585 BC. We can conclusively calculate that a solar eclipse occurred in that part of Turkey on that date. And that date also aligns with the reigns of the Lydian king, Aleates, and the Median king, Cyaxares. So everything really adds up pretty conclusively there. And the reason I wanted to share this ancient and nearly forgotten story today is because another total eclipse is on the horizon. And it's something that, if it's at all possible, you should try to experience. There are many kinds of eclipses. There are partial lunar eclipses, penumbral lunar and total lunar eclipses. Then there are planet transits and annular solar eclipses and partial solar eclipses. But the king of them all, the one that dwarfs, and I would even say eclipses, all the others by many orders of magnitude, is the total solar eclipse. That's the one for your bucket list. Solar eclipses actually occur several times a year, but most of the time they're partial or annular. And on the few occasions when they are total, the path of totality usually falls somewhere on the 71% of Earth's surface that is ocean, or over the Arctic or Antarctica or some remote part of Russia. So the overwhelming majority of people live and die without ever seeing one. And that's really why this upcoming total solar eclipse is so extraordinary. This eclipse is happening on August 21st in a thin path that stretches all the way across the United States. It'll be the first solar eclipse to darken the U.S. mainland since before I was born. The last one was all the way back in 1979. And this August 21st eclipse will be the first one in 99 years to cross over the whole country from coast to coast. This will be an astronomical event in both senses of the word, but only for those experiencing it from within the path of totality. That path is a narrow band about 70 miles wide that goes across the U.S. diagonally from Oregon to South Carolina. And when it comes to the path of totality, close is not close enough. The importance of that really cannot be overstated. The difference between experiencing the eclipse from inside that path and outside of it is immense. Those who see the eclipse from outside the umbral path will only see a partial eclipse, which is not very exciting. If they have special glasses, they'll be able to see the moon slowly moving across the face of the sun, but there's no culmination. There's no climax to the event, no fireworks, and it's really not memorable. But if you are inside the path of totality, it's like you're suddenly on another planet. Or like you have stepped into a surrealist painting. It's unlike anything you've ever experienced. To the average person, the idea of an eclipse probably seems like a kind of boring science event that's really only exciting to astronomers. And if you've only ever seen a lunar one or a partial solar one, then it's easy to wonder what the big deal is. 
But those who have experienced a total solar eclipse from inside the path of totality know that it is a knee-buckling, awe-inspiring, jaw-dropping, mind-expanding, emotionally overwhelming, and life-altering experience. Those who have experienced one say that trying to explain it to someone who never has is like a new parent trying to explain the miracle of holding his child for the first time to someone who's never experienced that. Words fail, language stumbles and founders, but of course people still try to convey it. I've actually never had the privilege of witnessing one yet, but last week I was able to speak with Dr. Fred Espinak. He is an astrophysicist, a scientist emeritus at NASA, and one of the world's leading eclipse experts. It is very difficult to convey to people what it's like to see a total eclipse because words fail, photographs fail, videos fail. The first eclipse Dr. Espinak saw was almost five decades ago, but he talks about it as if it happened just yesterday. The first one I saw was, was back in 1970. Um, I was an amateur astronomer. I had been looking forward to that eclipse. I thought it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience because it was an eclipse that happened to pass through the east coast of the United States. I had just gotten my driver's license. I was 18 years old, and I convinced my parents to let me drive uh, unchaperoned 600 miles south to get into the path of the eclipse. And I had read magazines and books about the eclipse, and I thought I was really prepared. But when totality struck and I was plunged into the moon shadow, it was a life-changing experience. It was the most spectacular, uh, joyful, exciting, exuberant experience I've ever had. And it, after it was over, I just knew that one total eclipse in a lifetime was not enough. I had to see another and another and another. And it became a kind of an addiction in a way. After that first one, he became hooked. And so he went on to see more, more total solar eclipses. He's traveled to all seven continents, including Antarctica, chasing eclipses. I've, I've been to 27 total eclipses over the past 47 years. And out of those 27, I've seen 20. The other seven were clouded out. So he was in the right place, but he couldn't see those eclipses because of cloud cover. Dr. Espinak has seen people fall to their knees weeping during eclipses. Even the unemotional Stoics well up with tears during totality. He's seen people burst into prayers and become emotionally overwhelmed, partly because witnessing an eclipse makes you see how small our problems and arguments are and how vast and beautiful the universe is. I've seen people with, with, with tears of joy uh, running down their cheeks after a total eclipse because it's such a moving, beautiful experience. A solar eclipse happens because of the precise and intricate clockwork of our solar system. The sun is about 400 times larger than the moon, but the sun is also about 400 times further away from Earth than the moon is. So size and distance cancel each other out in an astoundingly precise way. And that means the sun and moon appear to be almost exactly the same size. The moon perfectly covers the surface of the sun but it doesn't block out the sun's outer atmosphere, and that's why the corona is visible as a fiery ring around the dark disk of the moon. 
Dr. Espinak explained some more of the details about the mechanics behind how a solar eclipse happens and some of what makes the August 21st one such a remarkable eclipse. A solar eclipse only happens at new moon, when the moon is passing between the Earth and the sun. Because what's happening during a solar eclipse is that the moon's shadow is passing across the Earth. So the moon's got to be between the Earth and the sun, which means it's a new moon. Um, we get a solar eclipse uh, about uh, twice a year of one type or another of solar eclipse. Most of the time, they're only partial. Uh, the reason we don't get a, a solar eclipse every single new moon is because the moon's orbit is tipped to the Earth's orbit uh, around the sun. So most of the time, when the moon passes between the Earth and the sun, it passes a little bit above the plane of the Earth and sun or a little bit below. So the shadow misses the Earth. But at least twice a year, uh, we get some type of a solar eclipse on some portion of the Earth. Again, most of the time, they're only partial. Uh, but every one to two years, we get a total eclipse. One thing that he stressed is what pretty much all eclipse chasers say. Close is not close enough. For it to be impacting, you have to be in the path of totality. A lot of people will say, well, it's going to be 90% where I live, or it's going to be 95 or even 99%. Let me tell you, there's an enormous difference between even a 99.9% partial eclipse and a total eclipse of the sun. It's enormous. It's, it's, it's like the difference between almost winning the jackpot and winning the jackpot. One is a winner and one is a loser. And with total eclipses, it has to be 100% or you've lost. You've really lost uh, the, the experience because you don't get the darkness of totality. You don't get to see the sun's corona. You don't get to see the stars in the daytime. You miss all of that if you're not inside the, the, that 70-mile-wide path of totality. At the end of our interview, I asked Dr. Espinak if there was anything else he thought would be valuable for our listeners to hear. And here's what he said. If, if you don't go, uh, your friends and your neighbors that do go will be telling you about this for years, about what you missed. And if you do go, it is something that you will be telling your grandchildren about, that total eclipse that you saw in 2017, what a remarkable event it was. I wish everybody clear skies on August 21st. Before we wrap up the episode, as one last bit of persuasion, I wanted to play a short clip here of a crowd reacting to the solar eclipse that happened in Svalbard, Norway on March 20th of 2015. Here it is. It's starting to darken. 30 seconds, they say. Wow. We should see the beating soon. <laughs> oh, my. There it goes. There it goes. Oh, God. Oh, my. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Oh, look at that. Oh, God. Oh. Oh. 
Oh, do you, oh, do you believe that's oh, the sun? Oh look! Oh look at the flares, the plumes, the plumes. Amazing. Oh look! What? Just look at it. Oh my god! <laughs> That is so cool. That is so cool. Oh, it's cool. dark. Look how dark it is. It's like darker than twilight. Darker than twilight. <laughs> Look at it. Oh my God. Oh. I guess. Oh, <laughs> we saw it. We made it. Well, look at the 25 seconds. 25 seconds. Oh no! Really? Look at look at the horizon. Yeah. Look at the horizon. Yeah, all the horizon. Look! Look over there. Oh. And look, there's Venus. Oh. <laughs> or is it Mars? Oh, now I'm beginning to see beating again, aren't I? Yeah, there's the diamond ring again. You're not still looking at it, are you? I stopped. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at the crowd. Look at the shadows. They're so cool. So you can hear there just how impacting it is to be able to witness the precise mechanics and the clockwork of our solar system from within the path of totality during a total solar eclipse. So if you are able to experience that, it'll be well worth the time and effort required for you to get inside that umbral path. I would caution you that as breathtaking as this event will be, it is absolutely necessary to watch the partial phases only with specially tinted filters that protect your eyes. During the two and a half minutes or so of totality, you can lose the glasses and behold its glory with the naked eye, but before and after that, it's imperative to protect your eyes. Department stores and grocery stores near the path are already selling those glasses, so it's easy to get a pair. Or if you go to the Sun Also Rises radio show on Twitter, we've got a link there that uh, will bring you to some good and affordable glasses. Throughout history, many civilizations were often terrified of total solar eclipses. The Vikings believed it was the result of some kind of sky wolf chasing the sun. In ancient Vietnam, they thought it was an evil frog or toad eating the sun up. And Korean eclipse mythology centered on fire dogs that they thought were stealing the sun away. So there was a lot of fear for all these peoples when they saw the sun that they depended on so much disappear. But since we now have an understanding of the intricate mechanics of our solar system, 
Witnessing a total solar eclipse is an occasion for deep gratitude and astonishment and reverence. All over the solar system and universe, at any given time, there are planets and moons throwing their shadows onto other planets and moons. But only here on Earth is there anyone around to experience it when it happens. So if it's within your power to do so, I hope you'll be able to experience this August 21st Great American Total Solar Eclipse. I don't think we can expect this eclipse to bring an end to any wars like that one back in 585 BC did for the Lydians and the Medes. But it might bring you to a deeper appreciation for the intricate machinations of our solar system. And it might help you to be more grateful for your time on this planet. So if you're able to do so, please get to that path. Thanks for tuning in today. And thanks very much to Dr. Fred Espinak for his time and to Josh Sloan for his help with recording. If you have any questions or comments, our email address is tsar at kpcg.fm. And today we'll leave you with the words of author and veteran eclipse chaser, Dr. Kate Rousseau. Pictures do not convey the experience of totality. Nothing you read, see, or hear can prepare you for that spine-tingling, goosebump-inducing experience of the total eclipse. The eerie twilight that confuses birds and other animals, and at times humans, is like no other experience you've ever had. It's impossible to be a passive observer. You do not simply see a total eclipse. You experience it. You are immersed in it. You are completely overwhelmed by it. People say that the experience of totality changes their lives. Mm -hmm.